What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Desolation Radio. It's me, your boy, Dan Evans. And it's me, the weird dude who you see at the garden centre, Nathan Cush. Nathan, it's episode 15. So 15? Episode 50? <laughs> episode 50. So that can only mean one thing, a self-indulgent reflection on everything we've achieved to date. Beyond the podcast or stri- strictly, you know... <laughs> strictly within... podcast-related. Well, that's fine, because that's the only thing I've achieved is this. So... It's probably worth reflecting on what we set out to achieve. Obviously, the main aim was to basically make loads of money and become famous. Basically, I thought we would be bought out, not by like a massive conglomerate, like by News Corp, but by a hip, maybe probably by, by Vice. Vice would sort of co-opt us and you know pay us for the name Desolation Radio, and then we'd be like a section on the Vice website that covered the news in Wales. Yeah. Um, I'd I'd, uh, also try and push for just, you know, wearing designer clothes and then going through worn-torn countries (laughs) and asking really inane questions. Um, Does does war make you sad then? (laughs) So that didn't happen. The other scenario I envisioned envisioned was that we would probably get like um, a section on BBC Wales, like radio. They'd be like, wow, you know, these guys are hip. They're cool. They're young. Mm. Um, They used to be young. They used to be young. But we, that hasn't that, that ship has sailed. That hasn't happened. Um, and what were the other main aims? The other aims were basically to hang out with famous people. I, I thought maybe if we became friends, like if we got them on the podcast, mm. then we would become like maybe part of like Michael Sheen's entourage. Like you know maybe like we would just end up living in his house, pay us a little salary, and just be his boys. Yeah. Um, that hasn't happened. Um, Not and yet. I, and um, I thought through that lifestyle. I well, I don't know about you, but I definitely wanted to be to use the podcast as a platform and basically get like a famous wife. Um, so you know, Gweno, Catherine Jenkins, Lucy Cohen from the Welsh News, Sean Lloyd, the weather woman. That's a classic, Sean Lloyd. And of course, the other weather lady, um, Ben Azakar, who you know on the you've seen on the news. She's to watch the news. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Ben Az would be the sort of dream wife. And, you know, it would be like, oh, Catherine Jenkins steps out with her new squeeze. Yeah. Uh, you know, bad boy podcaster. Dan, <laughs> Dan Is she Evans. the one Michael Douglas? No, that's, that's Catherine, Catherine Zeta Jones. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, there's another one. Um, but, yeah, that hasn't happened, obviously. No. Uh, I mean, at this point, I, I just settle for um, the kid from Submarine. <laughs> <laughs> what, as your companion? Yeah. Or just to be in his entourage? Both, you know, whatever, whatever he, he kind of... He's up to, like... And what was the other thing we wanted to achieve? Yeah, it was mainly like being famous and getting loads of money out of it and getting sort of hang around celebrities, really, or just being, or maybe like be the hype, like a hype man for like a Welsh UFC fighter or something. Brett Johns. Be like, like Brett Johns, like in his corner. Mm. Or Lou Long. Yeah, and just, you know, and not actually do anything, don't do cuts or anything, but just be associated with them in this sort of extended sort of click. We could wait, we could be the dudes in the crowd too when, uh, you get pummeled after a UFC fight as as the uh, other fighter jumps the ring and just lays into us. Yeah, like um, Khabib did with Dylan yeah. Dennis. That would be us. So all those things just didn't materialise. So what we did, we thought, well, we may as well rebadge and rebrand and sort of pretend to be this socialist, like, you know, sort of anarchist, anarchistic podcast. And the, we we were banded to the least marketable thing. <laughs> That scrutinizes like the Welsh government and introduces like left wing ideas to people, and we've succeeded to an extent. So yeah, that's. Uh, but the, but no, the best thing about the podcast has been, you know, obviously meet like meeting people, meeting like minded people, and just hanging out with people. You know, like 
In, Fr- the friends you made along the way. Yeah, well, it really has been the interesting people we've got to chat to. And the best thing has been, I guess, just the solidarity shown, like, to us. You know, so many people sort of helped us along the way, like, gave up their time, you know, and sort of hyped, either hyped us or, or gave, like, you know, Mark Hooper in particular has given us, like, premises. Old Daddy Hooper. Um, like. Yeah, day one, our Uncle Mark. Uncle um, Mark. You know, and people, like, who've, like, helped promote us, like, you know, Teggied, um Calvin, too, personal hero of mine. Thanks, of course, as well, to the boy Sam Parry, um, a day one, uh, long t- long-time friend of the show. Big contributor. Like Aditya, like Mike Sheen, Brian Carroll, like gave up his time a lot to help us with sound, like Ted Jackson. Yeah, um, so and, for, but, if you listen to the first episodes to, you know, compared to now, you'll <laughs> notice the sound is better and that is purely down to both Ted and Brian. And and obviously the, we we crowdfunded for like new equipment and stuff. Because at the start I thought we were being gaslighted because everyone kept saying like the sound was terrible and mm. I generally couldn't tell the difference. But then we, we got some... I'm legally deaf as we, well, so... We got some... Are you actually... No, no, um, no. Got, my hearing's not like a hundred percent. But we got some new, point. we got some new equipment. But yeah, it's been a mess. People, everyone chips in, and like for example, the live event was phenomenal because it sort of it brought everyone together and it's, it's just spirit of the moment as well. But it's just it? been a really good experience meeting people, you know, yeah. and everyone that supported us. And everyone who bought a t-shirt that was kind of incredible. Yeah, you're just awesome. Um, and the other, I mean, oh, on the technical side, like yeah, so we thought one of the aspirations at the beginning was, as well as getting like a better sound, we'd figure out how to do interviews via like skype we achieved it albeit mm. the sound is, is yeah. immense but that's all we can sort of do with it um, that's my fault because i keep um keep rubbing grains of sand <laughs> over the microphone exfoliating it yeah it's, i just you know i want to take care of the equipment as best we can so that you should I, put loads of sound on there yeah just to keep it you know um tip top condition nice and smooth so that's like that sort of big achievement unlocked Oh, and we've also been able to... I also wanted to introduce, like, sound effects. Um, but the problem is I know you know how to do it now, and I'm scared that you're going to introduce sound effects. Weird ones all the way up through the episodes. Um, that was... Okay, initially that was my plan, was to kind of put, like, this this nihilist kind of so I love, love crafting <laughs> theme through every episode, but my aspiration was to introduce like laughter tracks or like, you know, like mm. fake, you know, off canned applause for guests. And Nathan was like, Oh, we could introduce like people screaming all the way through it. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, but by the way, let's get this up. Um, we found this awesome YouTube account, which just does scream sound effects. And um, disso- just go I want to disassociate myself from Nathan's plan to sort of embed them all the way through our, um, episodes but just so you know what they sound like here's here's a couple wait (laughs) so what (laughs) okay uh so like you have stock sound of uh stock photos i guess you have stock sound stock sound effects yeah uh oh wait (laughs) Dan's uh, Dan's playing from Fat Sounds Deluxe, the definitive Fat Sound collection. Don't you like that much anymore? No. That sounded like um. <laughs> okay, that goes on for another at least thirty seconds. A lot of nuance there, sort of. No, no, really. Those <laughs> All right. Anyway, so. <laughs> is, that, is that your complaint? There's, there's no nuanced sound, sound effects. Well, a lot of those are quite cliched, aren't they? Um, we could make those ourselves. 
but yeah, oh, and of course, the other amazing thing has been we've, you know, we've got we've doubled in size. We've got yeah, our our love is is physically, um, we've taken up we've manifested got, itself in in two people. We've got our beautiful daughter and son, Polly and all, mm. um, who we're really really delighted to have on board, help help just helping out with everything and and just. I, I will point out that they are actually both called Polly, but we abbreviated one to all. Yeah. Yeah. So to all and Paul, um, both your fathers are really proud of you. Yeah. And that's I, it. Yeah, that's it. Oh, um, so in Welsh news, the Hinkley mud has been dumped. <laughs> so all the protests we tried to sort of but uh, what, organize and get involved in and just didn't work. The Welsh but, government. But there is, there is a silver lining to that is McAvoy's managed to promote himself through it. Oh, yeah. Well, at least Neil McAvoy got loads of good press um what else has happened uh the welsh labor leadership election started and uh it's been as sort of bleak and as depressing as you can imagine mike drakeford like the great hope of the left has like the I mean, he just sums, sums up his like timidity like he just said the other day oh we need to be skeptical about nuclear power and was immediately attacked by von gethin and Leonard morgan you know Leonard morgan used to be the environment secretary and she's pro-nuclear and you know drakeford all he has to do is just say i'm anti-nuclear we shouldn't have it what else happened? Oh, Sport Wales, the body tasked with promoting sport and exercise in Wales, has just written a report which is likely going to see free swimming for under-16s and over-60s pulled because, you know, obviously if you're the body that promotes sport, you know, you, the main thing you should do is to write reports that recommend ec- free exercise programmes be pulled. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what that's, else? That's someone who's really fed up with their own job, that. And what else, man? I'm sure there's something else. Um... So now it's just all, all bleak, isn't it's it? It's always bad, yeah. The, the news is bad, as always. That's it. Look what I say, super furry animals! Just look at me, Come on. Okay, we're joined today by the one and only Griff Reese. <laughs> Obviously, lead singer of the Super Fury Animals, Neon Neon with Boom Bip. I've just released the new solo album, Babelsburg. How are you, Griff? Good, thank you. <laughs> really chuffed to have you on, obviously. We've been talking off, off mic no but nathan and i have been sort of being fanboys and so i wanted to get the fa- first like obsessive fanboy question question or or rambling sort of statement out of the way for me super fury animals are so important because in terms of like wales and welshness because i sort of grew up listening to bands like the stereophonics and the manics sort of came of age i guess in cool cymru which is a bit of a cringeworthy term i know just like Britpop, and this was i think it was a, a manufactured movement but and I, was, I was saying as well before I, I went to Bangor to do my PhD and before I went to Bangor you know I think I went to North Wales once on a school trip but I'd never been to North Wales I, I didn't know anyone had ever been to North Wales and I generally hand on heart thought that people from North Wales would be everyone would be living in farms and I would be this like cosmopolitan person from the future, future man, from like. South Wales like coming you know with like iPod and <laughs> uh, and all these <laughs> all these sort of things convince um, yourself that you can and, like some Christ-like figure to these people yeah but because I think in the writing of Welsh history and in sort of the narrative about Wales, 
like Welsh speakers and Welsh language communities have been othered, for want of a better word. There's almost, you know, they don't have any agency. It's just the Welsh speakers up there, you know, in North Wales. And I think beyond being a brilliant band, the awesome thing about the Super Furries and you know, bands like Gorky's is that through the music, you show that there's this really vibrant music scene happening in North Wales, that it's not this, you know, like, for want of a better word, like, you know, sort of conservative parochial place, and it's actually a really quite radical and interesting place, and especially if you look at the documentaries about how the Super Furies began, it was just really fascinating to see this, you emerging from this, like, radical local music scene. So what do you think about this, you know, the, the, the role of the Super Furies sort of vis-a-vis this Wales as, as a whole? Um... I realise that wasn't a question, really. It was just like a... Yeah, well, I mean, it's really frustrating um, and no accident that maybe there's not much interaction between South and North Wales and everything in between because there's no infrastructure at all, which is really unusual for a country in Europe. Um, We were, you know, we, we played in bands only singing the Welsh language uh, for years in, in different bands. Um, I didn't sing in English till I was about 25. But we, for the most part, only play in um, areas with a lot of the Welsh language spoken. Or, um, and we, I suppose we were watching our elders, in a way, people like Anne Revan, were... Um, sort of rejecting the baby boomer Welsh language music scene, which had amazing radical elements to it, um, but which had maybe become quite conservative by the 1980s, and, and they were taking their music, uh, you know, they were on an, an acropunk circuit around Europe, and they were playing... Uh, in the valleys, and they were they were able to take the music uh, beyond the well-speaking community. I think, which was really interesting, and um, was yeah vitally important in making people aware of that culture. And you know, they were releasing the first records by the first hip-hop record in the Welsh language, for example, by Lubelithog came out on their label um, and um, you know we in a way we were we wanted to emulate that that kind of the ambition they had in a way and um, so we you know when we started to for animals it was mind-blowing for us to be able to play you know in, in new parts and places and hang out with the six-foot dolls and have you know political conversations where we actually had a lot in common and um, you know having said that we completely sold out and <laughs> sang in English and stuff yeah. so obviously you know it was fuck off your pub and then that sort of eventually I guess merged into the super furries but what was it like then what was the, I mean you said Anne Revan were like the, the elders of the scene it seems like a pretty vibrant scene in sort of like the early to mid 90s in, in North Wales yeah, they they had to, um, inv- you know, invent their own underground culture. They were influenced by uh, crass people like that. They used to put um, crass gigs on in in Powys. They were originally from uh, Llanberg Carignan, 
Um, and they started their own record label, putting out radical Welsh language music that, you know, the, the Radio Cymru editors at the time didn't understand as music even. You know, they sort of, they weren't played because they, they had no comprehension of, you know, the gatekeepers were kind of soft rockers and they had no com- comprehension of what was going on. Um, so putting out, you know, radical Welsh language music, John Peel was playing um, um, they were refusing to sing in Lord and after gigs and things, which had become the norm. Refusing to sing it? Yeah, yeah. and sort of sing, you know, provo- you know, radical things like we love the English stuff <laughs> in Welsh, you know, just completely freaking people out, and, which was quite exciting, for, you know, for, for a young teenager to watch this kind of chaos. Uh, and or just general questioning of, you know, of uh, the culture. Also, bands like that Lucky. Um, but, you know, but, you know, but doing it out of love for the Welsh language and uh, commitment to it. And, um, but just, you know, a lot of self-confidence. Um, and I think, and Adam Records, um, they put out uh, records in conjunction with the anti-apathic movement, for example. Um, but they were frustrated that there was an, more labels doing what they were doing. So they formed a committee called Pop Positive in Bangor and uh, invited loads of bands and producers and uh, promoters to meet once a week at these meetings. Um, in a way, they were applying their anarchist <laughs> uh, background, um, which I didn't realise at the time as a 17-year-old, but practically I was able to pass my demo to the producer, Garwell Owen, the fuck about demo, and then he invited us to his studio and you know suddenly I was making you know recording tapes and uh, uh, Garo Lowen had a label called Oven which put out the Dublin albums and really radical electronic music uh, by his band uh, Plants by Hovnis, um and people like Andrem and Oven were big anti-vivisection campaigners as well. Um, so it was a real political education and uh, eye-opener, you know. Um, a, a lot of shows would be promoted by the Welsh Language Society, um, which was an, another very educational experience. And, you know, they're, they're true heroes, um, most changes in Welsh language policy over the years has come from their direct activism, you know. Yeah, so it's, on, on one hand, you know, that it was a really exciting and, and radical scene. Um, there's also things like S4C starting up, which was, you know, based 
around the Hunka strike, a threatened Hunka strike of Gwimba Evans. Um, I suppose the people campaigning for it didn't get the the jobs in it in a way because they were had all had criminal records. Like, yeah. You know, they all they all had criminal records from um, uh, occupying TV masts and and things. So they, so they, um, you know, but they fought for uh, the the right to have. Um, TV mediocrity in the in the Welsh language, which is, which is <laughs> fair enough. You know, to, uh, yeah. To, to bring it back to the uh, present day, it's actually interesting, isn't it? That considering the radical foundations of SLC, that that sort of legacy has been recently besmirched by you know Ghetto Harry inviting Katie Hopkins on to sort of debate, you know, i.e. platform, you know, some someone like that. Yes, yeah, um, bizarre, completely bizarre. It's something about the name Ghetto, isn't it? <laughs> Gitto Harry and Gitto Beb, we were saying about this, it's both of the the Welsh traditions, you know, the, the, the labour tradition um, and culture, and then, well, you know, I guess the sort of Welsh language culture as well always produces these weird bootlicking types like David, David Jones, Gitto Beb, Gitto Harry, and then obviously, you know, the labour tradition has got probably, well, far more Neil Kinnock and Peter Hayne and <laughs> all these people, George Thomas. Yeah, I mean, they're a disgrace to the name Gitzo, really. The Gitzo Price from Subfit Animals is, you know, one of the greatest humans alive. Um, so not, he's, not he's all Gittos. Not, you know, I'd, I'd like to... It's the less we can take away from today. Yeah. yeah. Solidarity with uh, all Gittos. Um As I've got, you know, I have to be honest, like, I mean, and it says something about the way Welsh history and Welsh, uh, this narrative of the nation has been sort of constructed that, I did my PhD on sort of Welsh political economy, sociology, and, it, and it's only very recently I sort of realised, you know, how radical the Welsh language movement was and the influence of anarchist ideas, which is really interesting because, we, you know, obviously it's the Welsh tradition that I've sort of grown up in South Wales, I'd say, is like this statist, you know, labourist tradition where you essentially wait. Uh, I think it's, it cripples Wales in a way. We still have this culture of waiting for the state to do things. When people talk about media reform and devolution of the media, it's just, oh, well, we'll just, you know, wait for the BBC to give us more stuff. But the time that you came up in front of a better word, Griff, it sort of sim- exemplifies this anarchist-influenced like DIY culture of just doing it. You know, people, it was a really radical time. People just, like I said, people occupied things, people took direct action, which is a fantastic example of, you know, anarchist principles. But also, as you said, just putting on shows, creating your own record labels, doing it yourself. I thought it was fascinating. And you said this time was almost a political education. You said speaking to like Anne Revan and Rhys Muin, who's a radical guy. Yeah, they, I mean, they uh, gave us gigs. The first subferry tour was around Brittany and France. We had this uh, mixing desk, which is like a shed between the band. Um, and any, any member could take it out and make a racket. I think three of us took it. Um, supporting Andrem in France and Brittany, um, just freaking out, sort of Celtic, um, inter- people interested in Celtic music and things with a mad electro. Um, <laughs> but, but but then, you know, having like four hour rants by this morning in the, in the van in between gigs, which is amazing, you know, when in a time before people were scrolling through phones and stuff in vans, it was a, a pretty inspiring but yeah you know but you know obviously we completely sold it out and um, 
I don't think you did. He keeps saying that. But, but, was that the plan all along? Like, yeah. <laughs> Why else would you do anything? Like, you know, yeah, we're still waiting for that time, yeah. aren't we? It was, but we, you know, but we were interested in playing outside a community and uh, playing in the Hall of Wales. Uh, and um, I was interested in playing with the English language and um, influenced by Anglo-American pop culture and Top of the Pops and, you know, all these different influences. Um, there was no Radio 1 in Bethesda, but we'd get RTE uh, radio from Dublin. <laughs> that was the pop station. So um, get adverts for things I couldn't buy and um, <laughs> adverts for Dun Stars and things ingrained in my head, still the melodies. And um, But what was interesting about that as well was the... Uh, RTE News, which would report all these leaks from Sellafield and things that, did, you know, weren't reported in, in the BBC. And it was interesting. Then when you started playing Cardiff, and it seems like Cardiff had a really vibrant music scene there as well, you know, centred on Clubby for Bach and things. Yeah, um, I mean, we were complaining then. I mean, if you'd listen to documentaries from then, it was yeah. terrible. You know, it was the worst place on earth and, uh, you know in terms of gigs and stuff and people were moaning about Nothing no changes, venues like. and um, but that you know there are there's been some crucial things to keep everything together we we, three of us moved from North Wales and uh, we knew uh, Gitton Bum from the band Utant the punk band and we sort of formed a, a band with them and uh, there was a uh, place like Big Noise Studio where the Manics recorded the Holy Bible. They, they had rehearsal spaces. They were, they were sort of cultural herbs just run by enthusiasts, you know, and yeah. people who just made things happen without any help, really. And um, that's still true today. Uh, places like Music Box in Cardiff, in, in Grangetown, you know, which has got I don't know, about 10 rehearsal studios and bands keep their gear there and they keep everything going really um, quietly, you know, without any fuss. And uh, but I dread to think what, what would happen without these kind of crucial people anyway. Obviously they got rid of the Vulcan, which is now in in pieces in St. Yeah, uh, Fagan. Big yeah. noise studio. Yeah. Um, when they, that time they knocked the kind of centre of Cardiff done. <laughs> and they're going to knock the brains, uh, um, take the tower away. Which, no way. Yeah. I think they're keeping the tower. No, they're not. Oh, they're no, they're the not. tower's going it. as well, is it? And that, what was that featured on one of your albums? Oh, yeah, it was in Fuzzy Logic, was it? Or was Brains um, the, the Bridge, yeah. yeah. The Brains Bridge and um, Clay Road. I mean, um, why would you keep, why would you keep something, why would you keep Heritage, isn't it? Just get rid of it and yeah. put a student flat on it. Put a Costa in there. Yeah. We used to uh, mimic, make videos and stuff, pretending we were in New York. But <laughs> brains building because there was steam coming out of the the road. But, yeah, um, I mean, speaking of sort of Cardiff and like architecture, I mean, before I forget, we were saying as well that one of the guys that we follow on Twitter showed us this John Peel clip of Anne Revan. I think maybe it was that pluggy as well. But at the end of the John Pe- John Peel basically doing this three three Welsh bands playing a very short clip and I think it was under the arches in 
in Cardiff, which is that iconic, um, I think it's a practice space as well. But I was really upset at the time because obviously these bands are absolutely fantastic. Like, like you know, you, as soon as you listen to and you think, well, where has this been like all my life? And there's this profound sense of being like divorced and, and deprived of something that's happening in your it was just really upsetting. Like, how do you, how do I not know about these bands? And I don't know. That was just like an anecdote. I just got really, I mean, and after it, I went out and bought an Unraven record. There's a guy from a, called John Quinn, from a progressive rock band called Bran, who from Bethesda in the 70s. And he, he ended up being the producer of The Tube, the 1980s pop show um, that was broadcast from Newcastle some or other. So he, so he was like the well-speaking plant. Yeah. <laughs> that's and, what we uh, need, isn't it? Yeah. So that, you know, that's, I think that's probably why they were on the programme. But he did a lot, didn't he, John Peel? Which was, uh, I, but I thought that was an interesting... Uh, but it is, it is frustrating, and it, it does frustrate me that, you know, there is still this ignorance, I'd say, within Wales. I mean, it's no one's fault, but about, well, it is certain people's fault, about um, the fact that we don't know about a whole part of our culture, essentially, the fact that we don't really know about this, the scene um, in North Wales and um, and how vibrant it was. Yeah, it's weirdly, John Peel had a, his family at a holiday home in Trosnigger, <laughs> and um, we got set on fire. I don't know, but <laughs> you, you know when he grew up. So he, he, and he went to the his army when he was in the army. He was based in Tikrois nearby Trosnigger, and then. Uh, Arvin Records, who like, you know, sounded like they were, all the music sounded like it was coming from East Germany. So <laughs> they, they were from the same village. So that was another weird reason. Maybe John Peel was kind of aware of yeah. this rural Wales and its music. You said about, um, as well, which I thought was fascinating, but like um, that bluggy and things, there was a, a huge... Was it electronic scene or in, in Cardigan? Yeah, and it, it wasn't part of the, you know, uh, well speaking intelligentsia. Um, they weren't college bands, you know, they were just people in upper TV making radical <laughs> ele- electronic music and forming. Uh, there's a, yeah, Malcolm Neon, who um, had his cassette label, Neon. Um, and he had a few acts that were all him. Um, but I think he first started recording that lucky. And so they they were in his image in a way. Um, but they were lyrically amazing because just really critical of Welsh language culture. And in a, but again, you know, out of commitment to it. But that is interesting because I don't think, you know, historically, well, People always say about Wales, oh, you know, we're too sensitive or we're not good at like criticising ourselves. And But if you look at the Welsh, uh, you know, the, the subversive stuff that Dave that bluggy and uh, was saying and, and that you guys are involved in as well, it's, it's clear that's not the case. You know, there's always been this subversive element and counterculture and, and sort of taking on the entrenched uh, interests within, or the more conservative elements within the communities, for yeah. want of a better word. And I think also in the 70s, and it is a lot of um, hippie counterculture moving to yeah. rural Wales and um, putting on free festivals and, yeah. and um, the you know weird intermingling of two really different yeah. traditions have um, have sometimes created um, 
new firms yeah. and expected firms. Um, and um, I remember watching, like, in the late 80s, where all the DIY sound systems would come in to rural Wales to put on raves. Um, you know, like Banksy and all these people who were in Llanberis and Bethesda putting on raves. Um, and then I remember there was one in Bala and on the evening news, the, the setup on the S4C, the local police were kind of um, pleading with local people not to go to this rave because they thought there was going to be violence, you know, but what happened, you know, all the, everyone went to the rave and got off their heads and danced all night <laughs> and had a great time. And uh, Rural Wales lends itself probably to acid as well, doesn't it? It's like uh, probably the perfect place to take it. But that's interesting, I mean, speaking about, I mean, you, you were, I guess, contemporaries of like Acid House and, um, and you said you did live in Manchester for a bit. Um, I think, that, I mean, one of the reasons I think the Super Furries are so big amongst like Welsh football fans, for example, is because the majority of, I want to say, the elders of the Welsh football scene sort of all came of age during that mid-90s. You know, it's, for want of a better word, it's like probably the, one of the last waves of British youth culture, you know, which was, you know, f- being a football casual, like fighting, and it was all soundtrack to Acid House, really. And, and the Super Furries have definitely got elements, I think, of that sort of more experimental sound, which is one of the reasons I think they became so popular amongst the uh, Welsh football fans. Do, do you think anything, you know, do you think any, that that was maybe to do with, like, proximity? I mean, I don't know whether if, if Acid House took off all around Wales, it probably did, but I was wondering if, you know, in, in particular North Wales got these sort of, the permeable border, for, did it sort of absorb um, what was going on in Manchester? I don't know, but all I know is, you know, by the time I was, 18, I'd probably seen New Order and the Happy Mondays three or four times. Yeah. Because um, it was quite close. Um, it could be in GMAX in an hour and a half to watch New Order or something. Um, and, um, you know, we kind of watched the kind of civic pride in a way that, that was going on in Manchester with, with some envy in a way. Um, yeah. And um, but but definitely didn't feel part of it. But I, rem- I remember walking down the street once in Manchester when I lived there, and I saw these ultra Mancunian-looking people <laughs> with sort of comedy flares and things. And you know, I was almost laughing. But then I realised <laughs> when they walked past, they were speaking Welsh. Do you know what I mean? And they were like, yeah, people coming from North Wales for the day for the day to buy flares <laughs> you know so there, there is that interaction inevitably but it's, it's really frustrating that we don't have that kind of uh, rapid interaction between North and South Wales and yeah. it, it's really uh, holding things back in culturally and in things like League of Wales football and you know where teams have to travel five hours in, you know, after a game with bad legs. And yeah. Well, no, it's, an, <laughs> it's, it's a nightmare, isn't it? It's a real problem, I think. Um, well, when Brentirian were about, got one uh, South Wales League one back a few few years back, um, a lot of the players kicked off and said, you know, if you if we go up to the Welsh Premiership, like, I'm out, because at the moment 
we're only traveling around South Wales for my 80 pound or 100 pound a game or whatever which is great yeah. but you know for a little bit more money why would I you know have to get up at six in the morning or whatever get a coach up to prestat in probably get beat or I don't know whatever but then you've got to get back it's your whole day so it's a uh, I'd say for players it probably becomes a chore yeah and it, it, you know it's not dissimilar for bands you know uh, yeah just um the commitment that takes to um I'm, I'm sure in other fields as well that I haven't thought about but um yeah it's it it's get more and more frustrated. <laughs> and, I think. Uh, I think there's a know, super animal song about uh, Sarn Hill and the Roman road that connected nothing to South Wales and maybe Welsh infrastructure peaked during the <laughs> Roman occupation. <laughs> you know, um, which is a bit frustrating. There is a there's a guy called Neil Anderson who's a really interesting uh, anarchist guy who comes to. Uh, I've met in politics, um, sort of, you know, talks and things like that, and and he's proposed. He wrote an article on Click on Wales, sort of proposing this new. I don't know if it takes the the route of the Roman road, but he's proposing almost equivalent of the of the coastal path that goes around Wales, just put one through the middle. And even if it's not a, an actual road to drive on, he said it would be a fantastic thing because you could you could walk it. You know, I mean, do it across like Canada. You know, they have like huts and things where people who are hiking could just crash in and stuff like that. It was a really interesting idea. That's th- great. Come the apocalypse, we saw it. <laughs> you know, the yeah, exactly. Love the mountains. The highway. It'd be um, like the road. Like the threat. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but, I mean, that's great. And obviously, you know, it obviously should be ambitious and not involve cutting up the incredible landscape to kind of asphalt dystopia that's the problem so, now I kind of think that any infrastructural thing given that people given that Ken Skates or someone will probably be in charge of it I just get the impression that any good yeah any good idea would be and it would be spun and actual resources <laughs> Wales would like write this policy paper and say they'd commission an expert and they would say on the one hand you know you're flattening you're digging out a mountain and <laughs> you you know, these three the three peaks beacons. have been there for years <laughs> but on the other hand you know it will create up to you know 200 local jobs and things like that and you know it you just and know it's amazing service, in a yeah, and yeah, and amazing opportunities to yeah. um <laughs> put nuclear waste in, in yeah. the resultant holes is is a uh, kian out on the bay at the moment it's been out a bit isn't he yeah it's a hero like yeah um, it's class you've got a, fi- fish, take, you've got a fisherman's my, beanie on my, as well yeah. i take my hat <laughs> off to him for, um he's been watching yeah. deadliest catch <laughs> yeah no yeah it's in Incredible. Wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought do. that he, like you know, he'd become a like a, a latter day pirate. You know, that's like the interesting career arc. Yeah. But it's fantastic. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's direct at what we're seeing now. I think with the dumping of you know, your potentially nuclear waste is we are seeing like maybe a flourishing, belatedly of like direct action in Wales. Yeah. Well, Kian's very organised and he's nobody's doing it. You know. And yeah. He, he's had to start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's just taking it on himself, which is. I, Incredible, you know. I, mean, I think but, he um, kind of. I mean, he's. It, it almost seems. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like he, he's sort of shaking people by the lapel. Like, why you? Know, why aren't you? Do, why aren't you doing anything about this? And the whole, the fact that nothing is being done about it, or the fact that you know, you know, the fact that like if it's raised by plied, you know what happens. Labour are going to vote it down. Mm-hmm. It's just regardless of how damage, damaging it could be, just sort of says it all. It's this like crippling partisanship, really. Yeah, and it, but it's been good as well in that. It, 
hopefully influences the direction of play Cymru takes against the kind of, uh, you know, the nuclear industry, which is, seems incredibly damaging in every possible way. We're going to do an episode on this, actually. I've started, um, started writing a short article on, like, nuclear capital, but one of the interesting things about, you know, the nuclear debate and about, you know, will there be is that people don't discuss it in terms of, like capitalism, you know, capital—it's like you know, it's a country that will be completely dependent on the whims of foreign company, you know, foreign massive multinational companies. But it's pretty soul-destroying. You see, like Ken Skates and stuff grinning on his trips to Hitachi and the Welsh government, the Welsh government completely U-turning. Um, but it's all about the Anglesey uh, infrastructure company that was set up and funded by the Welsh government. What was it called? I forget, but that was that's another episode. But um, you know, for example, so the woman who was in charge of the energy Anglesey Energy Island, I think, was like the you know it was kind of like a local version of the Welsh Development Agency, just lobbying for inward investment into Anglesey. The woman who headed that is now being sort of you know obviously she was lobbying for nuclear to come, and now she's on the board of the new um, Horizon Nuclear, and obviously that's you know, they're, a but, isn't it? but it's just so transparent, you know, um, and obviously Horizon of um, if you read the minutes of like the meetings and Horizon's own like corporate documents. It's like, we need to, you know, we are facing hostility in the community. We need to get in and win hearts and minds, you know, and, um, <laughs> and they funded, you know, they funded like a sixth form college in, in the area. I and mean, what they do, they basically will hire a local Welsh speaking person to be sort of a mediator and just conduct this massive PR campaign. And obviously as you know, we were all a bit dismayed by the fact that they Horizon sponsored the Ice Deathford and no one really seemed to bat an eyelid. I mean, and this is Gwynedd County Council as well, who, which is run by Plyde, and they have apparently been as sort of servile as any, as like Cardiff Labour Council have been. So it's it's pretty, depre- pretty yeah. depressing all around when it comes to nuclear. Yeah. Okay, Griff, we talked about, I mean, obviously, you know, you are a very interesting guy, and we, we wanted to talk about some of the more experimental things you've done. Obviously, you've written a book called American Interior, which shows multimedia as well, wasn't it? It was a mobile app as well as a, a film. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a pretty intense few years getting it together. Um, it sort of took over my life for, for about three years, and I was living in the 18th century. Um, just I don't know if it's healthy, but um, and uh, involved total commitment. Things like um, my friend. Dylan Gorch was shot the film. Did he do Separado as well? He did Separado, yeah. and um, you know the conclusion was I shouldn't change my clothes because he needed to be able to edit every any possible shot together. So it involved, you know, wearing the same clothes for months on end and things like that, and you know it was pretty weird. But that was, we, we but that anyway. was popular in your house. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, luckily, it was you know. On the road. <laughs> so t- talk us through, I mean, the, the, just briefly the concept behind American Interior and what it was inspired by. Well, it was inspired by uh, the story of John Evans, um, a farmhand from Gwynedd who got um, enthralled by Yolam Organog. Um, I think he, he heard him speak at the Llan Rhwst i Steddfod in 1790 and um, Iol Morgannog was trying to raise money 
for an expedition to a crowdfunder like yeah <laughs> and well that's where we've gone back unfortunately you know into like that nightmare 18th century world of crowdfunding and um but um yeah they, they wanted to start an expedition to america to look for the um the Madokwis tribe descended from the mythical mad dog um, who'd sailed, well, who hadn't sailed to America in, <laughs> in the 12th century. Um, Wait, um, you're saying, saying the Welsh didn't <laughs> discover America? <laughs> yeah, oh, but it was classic. <laughs> I mean, it was basically it's a story of, of fake news, but it, unfortunately I wrote it, you know, it, what is it? Three, four years ago now, and um, 2013 wasn't it? Yeah, so it's fake news didn't exist as a term, maybe, yeah. and um, it would be an easy sell now. It'd be <laughs> like, a, but I mean the the discovery of America by the Welsh was um, used by Queen Elizabeth as a, just as a a way of claiming. Americas for the the Americas for the British Empire. Um, so, it's, you know, and but, but it's just such a amazing story. The Welsh thought, oh yeah, that sounds great. We yeah, brilliant. We we discovered America, um, and it was difficult to verify. But John Evans went on the journey of verification. Yel Morganog bailed out because he was just a mad fantasist on opium. <laughs> And um, but John Evans was insane enough to take the journey and ended up living with the uh, many tribes along the Missouri River basin. Um, the US only reached Pittsburgh, I think, at the time. So he was in in Spanish claimed territory um, and had an, an interesting time worked for the, ended up working for the Spanish regime, took down Union Jacks wherever he went, um, changed, accidentally changed the, what is now the border between the US and Canada. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, you know, it's cause and effect. If he hadn't have taken down the Union Jack um, in, North Dakota, what is now North Dakota, in 1796, the, um, you know, those at least two or three American states would have ended up in Canada, and um, George Bush wouldn't have come into power. <laughs> because uh, the electoral the, the invasion of Iraq wouldn't have happened, um, you know. It's like the kind of chaos they use, they small change one small thing, and then, like, all of a sudden, oh. yeah. It's a good job the Revenant hadn't come out then because he probably wouldn't have gone if he'd seen that. Yeah, that's brutal. It's, yeah. it's very similar in a way, that Actually, that period. And it, it was, it, but you they live quite harmoniously then with these with the, with the tribes. Well, not the start of the Revenant. Oh, no, John <laughs> Evans, I mean. Well, they saved him, you know. They, I mean, it was they were nice people and they were they felt sorry for this mad <laughs> guy in the... He's quite young. Cold guy. Well, yeah. 22 
Yeah, he died at 29 in New Orleans. Um, and um, was buried in the graveyard where the LSD scene was shot in Easy Rider. Oh, really? I still haven't seen Easy Rider. That's great. Um, so there's a silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> so as well as, you know, American Interior, which is about, you know, obviously, I guess, a just a project about John Evans. Um, yeah, I, I followed his journey. I t- took a tour and I booked gigs and um, got to, the most interesting of which was getting to play places like the Omaha Reservation Amazing. and um, the Fort Bertolt Reservation, um, which are, you know, mini independent left-leaning states, countries almost, you know, in, in the middle of... Uh, Republican states it's really fascinating and frightening you know and uh, they're you know financially crippled yeah. uh, for the most part but very very sobering for me personally yeah I drove through a, a few reservations when I, I coached football in Montana and it was a real oh, no, yeah. a real sort of jar and experience to see the, the sort of poverty that exists really you know you're out in the plains in the middle of nowhere and then there's you just come across a like a township essentially which is like really been just left behind in it just left their own devices have and you, you seen got um, Wind River problem. yeah it's a good, good film yeah it's about reservation isn't Jeremy it? Renner boy yeah the Native American you've also did an album Praxis Makes Perfect which is about the Italian communist publisher Giancomo Feltrinelli as you do you know um, so talk us talk us through that and Feltrinelli he's quite an obscure character isn't he like we really hadn't heard of him until the, the album yeah I've got an Italian friend who's a pharmacist and um, he gave me a, a Feltrinelli's biography is that the one written by his son yeah yeah and, um, you know, a few years later, some or, some or other, it ended up forming an electronic duo uh, with Boom Bip for the sole purpose of making biographical records. Because <laughs> um, Praxis Makes Perfect is quite different to, um, in terms of the subject matter with um, your first one, Stainless Star, was on John DeLorean, wasn't it? Yeah, we done a kind of sort of um, album about a capitalist industrialist playboy um, and then we thought we'd do one about uh, a leftist multimillionaire playboy revolutionary um, but it was really interesting getting to do it we worked with we had the songs, and then we worked with Tim Price, who's from Aberdeen, a d- dramatist um, who wrote the amazing uh, the radicalization of Bradley Manning. Oh, no way! Um, the the play, who which I suppose the the premise was that Bradley Manning went to secondary school in Hereford West, mm, yeah. and his history lessons were. I think Tim interviewed his history teacher but that um that he'd been taught of Welsh radical history. Um 
so he interweaves, you know, Dick Penderian and people into the Chelsea Manning story okay. in a way, um, which is a kind of who's I suppose one of the icons of twenty first century yeah. Wales in a way, um, you know. Uh, but in 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 any case, we got to go with uh, Tim and. Bumbip, we got invited out to the Feltinelli Library in Milan, which is a somewhere I uh, definitely recommend anyone interested in radical texts. You know, with obviously uh, leftist leanings, um, given. Feltinelli's background in in communism, um, but he was kicked out of the Italian. Communist Party because he, he was a, and you know, he figured out Stalin uh, mm. quite early, and um, he was interested in the in the third world uh, before it became a, a derogatory term. In a way, his interests were in uh, states like Yugoslavia and Cuba and Indonesia, which. Um, filled the vacuum between NATO and, and the Soviet world, and uh, he ended up um, visiting Cuba as well. Did he, did he play uh, yeah basketball with Fidel Castro? Yeah, he he was a publisher basically, and he ran uh, book superstars. He was like a equivalent of Richard Branson, or someone like a public figure, megastar owner. Um, but he tried to sign. Um, Fidel Castro for his biography, his autobiography, and Castro invited him over to um, interview him. Um, and there's, you know, famous photographs of him playing basketball with Castro and things. But in the end, he got um, completely indoctrinated uh, by Castro <laughs> and uh, ended up becoming a, a fugitive, you know, and... Um, you know, was killed in very suspicious circumstances um, by possibly his own bomb. So he's, um, he's trying to blow up, a, was it an electric pylon into a city or something? Apparently it's very unclear and, and, and shady. Um, and there was the years of lead in Italy uh, with a lot, lots of foreign agents yeah. battling out for the political direction of of that country, and um, it's, but it, I mean, it's really sad, but his, um, his legacy was the, the books, the interesting books he published, and um, the um, foundation he set up. Um, so the, the two big books he did, um, published was Dr. Zhivago, wasn't it, and um, was it The Jaguar or The Leopard? Yeah. Uh, the, the the leopard and he I suppose he was um, by publishing a, a dissident text um, he was anchoring the communist party in Italy who mm. were at, who took direction from the committee I suppose and he was um, yeah so he, he was um, a, a, a free thinker 
um, and ahead of his time, possibly. He also um, did he help publish some Henry Miller as well? Was it Tropic of Cancer or Tropic of Capricorn? Yeah, he, he you know, he's publishing. Um, he had a hand in a lot of uh, pop culture. He was, I mean, publishing a lot of counterculture American books in Italian, but mm. he also. It was him who, for example, took the. printed up the Che Guevara posters with that iconic image that yeah. became a, a burden eventually, probably. But um, he was popularizing kind of very radical people um, and bringing them into pop culture internationally. So, so he had a, a, a kind of global impact. And um, it's a shame in a way he, w- he didn't continue to, yeah. <laughs> to do that. And he got, but he kind of decided instead to try and liberate um, Sardinia. He thought Sardinia could be the Cuba of Europe. Um, so he, he tried to go to Sardinia to liberate them, but they didn't want to be liberated by this weird guy from Milan. Um, so I don't know, it's, you know, it's a incredible story in any case to write about. I'd love to do an episode eventually on the years of lead and like the strategy of tension because it's kind of a... <laughs> When I first read about like Operation Gladio and like the stay behind like NATO agents and stuff, which so basically, um, you know, the Born Identity when they like activate those the CIA like activate like Clive Owen or whatever, and he's like the piano teacher, and they like go and kill Born or whatever. So yeah, I mean, Born the Born series, I really can't tell the films apart from each other. No, no, it's just very quickly edited fight, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but you read stuff like that about these you know, sleeper agents, NATO like. training an army of. <laughs> you know, anti-communist agents across Europe and it actually happened, you know, and then (laughs) it sounds like such a conspiracy theory. Um, A Clive Owen in every country, like... And so many people obviously died in mysterious circumstances during the years of lead. Was it that... Is it the play Death of an Anarchist? You know, the the police threw that anarchist... uh, Yeah. Threw him out the window and and then they killed a cop that did it and 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 so on. And Feltrinelli was implicated in the... That same... um, It was after that incident in Milan that yeah. uh, felt it's going to hiding. Um, when the guy got thrown out the window? Yeah, I think there was... Um, I can't remember the story exactly, no, but the... I think there was an explosion in Milan um, planted by the right-wing forces. Mm. Um, yeah. But they rounded up um, a lot of um, radicals and... Um, including the guy they checked out the window and I think Falsinelli was on the list and I, th- I think that's the point he went into hiding. I'm trying to think of the film I saw. There's a film about, um, I think, like the, the mob in Rome, which... Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it touches on the years of lead and it touches on, I think, the... Was it the Bologna train bombing, and, uh, the train station bombing and things? And essentially the, you know, the, the sort of right-wing, um, the fascist sort of militants in Italy which was it's a really sort of terrifying period that hopefully we're not we're not marching towards again um, there's um, there's an amazing the best thing I've seen T.C. Vance the actor ever do was um, he did the accidental 
accidental death of an ang- anarchist. Oh right, yeah, that's the yeah, that's the play. Uh, the play and uh, it's just mind blowing. Who's like shape shifting? Who's uh, playing every every character? And uh, it's like some weird superhuman. You still in contact? It's like watching an animation. You still in contact with recent? She was wasn't he the original uh, lead singer of Super Furries when he first got started? Yeah, um, you still living. Dav's flat, the, the band was basically based around Dav, David Ian's flat, and he had a, a home studio. Was that in Bangor? In, well, eventually in Cardiff, yeah. um, on Column Road. And um, I think he had two bedrooms, and Wynn was the the studio. And I think Reese was doing, you know, was a working actor before he got into films and stuff. Um, often probably not particularly well paid, so he, he was just staying on the on a mattress in there. So he, I think by default he became the singer because he was such a, a presence and, a, you know, it would have been an insane frontman for any band. Um, but then once he started to get these insane acting jobs and stuff, it was, you know, it was obvious that's what he should be doing. He's in a few of your earlier videos, wasn't he? Like, um, God Show Me Magic. And uh, was it Hometown Unicorn as well, isn't that? Um, yeah, yeah, no, he was... Yeah, no, he was very generous with his time. <laughs> Hard um, choice to make, in it, being a rock star or a film star. It's like, uh, you know, that's what uh, we, we have to decide, you know, but we've chosen the podcast route. Yeah, I, I tend to dabble in both, to be honest. <laughs> like, I got I'm in a new Netflix series coming out soon. But, I mean, but... I suppose he was a bit older than us, and he he was uh, he used to write an anarchist fanzine, um, point Mevel, and intentionally misspelt um, like the pain of thinking. Um, <laughs> and I remember like he it debates in pubs between him and Gareth Miles, um, just being an anarchist and yeah. Gareth the socialist. And I remember being in like. The 1987 he stayed in Perth Matto because I mean you know they had like a heated debate for a couple of hours <laughs> everyone blind drunk <laughs> um, and uh, he's turned us on to a lot of records by um, you know um, anarchist punk bands and he was listening to a lot of um, American hard- hardcore music and Big Black and people like that does he still hold those um, that politics then, or has it kind of gone out the window now? He's in like one of the Spider Men's, like you know. I imagine he does. Or he's you know. I don't know. He's informed. That's that's his background. Yeah. Um, he's our man in Hollywood, isn't he? That's <laughs> sleeper agent, yeah. isn't he? Him, Sheen, Matthew Reese, ironically playing a sleeper agent as well. Yeah, deep cover. Yeah, deep deep cover. <laughs> Just all right. Griff, we're probably going to wrap up shortly, but a couple of questions. Where was Negative Vibes filmed? Because I saw the video, like, and I thought that was amazing, with everyone playing the uke, ukulele. Oh, that was in Splat. Was it, yeah? Um, it was a weird day. I had flu. I'm in the back somewhere. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah they've, they've, I'm, like, they've sweating stowed, in stowed the back. you away, haven't they? Yeah. It was supposed to be, it was supposed to be a really different video. There was, it was going to be filmed it on Cardiff and be like a... It was going to look like a news channel, a rolling news channel. 
and then they had mad flu, and uh, I can't remember what happened. No, <laughs> no, it's great. It's a really great video. It's a class song as well. Griff, all the stories about this vibrant, you know, Welsh language music scene and, and the music scene that existed in Cardiff is just, and you know, the the, the politics and the engagement that was, and discussion that was happening within the Welsh language scene is just really fascinating. Um, and it's, I mean, I might be wrong, but it seems a bit different today. Um, in certainly in terms of the the music scene in Cardiff, I think is. I mean, I know there there's awesome. There's loads of people trying to put gigs on, like Ross Jones great lad um and people are trying to sort of revive the music scene in cardiff but obviously it's been well documented that venues are closing down and things and and i was just wondering what you make of the the current music scene in wales in terms of like the welsh language music scene you know the infrastructure within cardiff but also within you know north wales and venues and stuff yeah it's obviously hard for venues um this to be a venue near where we're speaking now the Points, yeah, I think it was to be in there, um, but they got shut down once the flat started up um, being built around. They um, got shut down. Obviously, uh, sort of um, Club Iverbach have been active in making sure they they're not going to get shut down. But I think it's hard for. I suppose it's, it's always been hard for anyone to keep these venues open uh, for bands to make any kind of living, you know. Um, things like, well, I suppose famously, P, you know, PRS um, statements for plays on Radio Cymru got slashed. Um, uh, Spotify, I, I kind of created for for shareholders to make profit that very little of the money goes back to artists. Um, so, so I suppose the, the climate's um, extremely difficult. Um, ultimately, people make, make music or arts for the, for the love of it, uh, regardless of what they do as a day job. Um, and for some reason, for some freak events, I'm, I'm, able to make a living out of music but it's quite rare and I uh, feel very fortunate for that um, and it, unfortunately it's, it's you know precarious and not not easy for musicians um, or anyone in the in the arts really um, you know so but, um, but there are uh, people doing it regardless and, and uh, I suppose uh, an, an easy portal uh, into this world of maybe Welsh language music at the moment would be a distribution service like uh, Pist, um, which is a, a streaming platform for mostly Welsh language music. That's a, a handy place for people to go, and they've got um, Welsh language records coming out every week online. Um, so I think in, in terms of popularity and and energy, um, it's as healthy as it's ever been. I suppose it's it's mm. it's always bad on the ground, 
and uh, people do it regardless. And I think that's always been the case. And um, I mean, but but um, and there's no. It's uh, um, but but there's a lot of uh, passionate people um, doing it for the love of it. Um. But music is. I mean, the interesting thing about what everything you've said about the sort of coming up in North Wales and you know, Dan Hancock has just written a book on grime and one of the arguments made in these books is that, you know, grime, for example, is dependent on an infrastructure of, like, the local state, you know, community halls and community centres which are sort of being shut down under austerity. And, like, my take on it is obviously that, you know, the arts are sort of secondary to Cardiff in general and, you know, venue... I mean, obviously, they, they won that, that campaign to sort of keep uh, Womanby Street as a sort of cultural hub but I think that's kind of like a brief period of respite rather than a a victory because I mean Cardiff's so enthralled to property developers and, and, and the rest of it that you know yeah. venues are going to you know obviously the coal exchange is there the point is actually opposite us now um, but ironically all these buildings and streets will be marketed as this once was yeah. where this happened I mean TJ's obviously yeah. in Newport is gone the, the pub has been taken over but you need that DIY thing don't you I mean to sort of do it and, and 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 make it happen. By the way, what happened? Is is Mister Hugh still going? Yeah, it's good tunes. Yeah, class. Mr. Hugh, yeah, really good. But he hasn't. I don't know. I mean, he de- he never plays gigs, so I don't know if he's still maybe going. less so. But he's still he's still writing. And is he? The tunes are still good. Good. Oh yeah, yeah. they're really good. <laughs> um, okay, Griff. Honestly, it's been such a pleasure to to have you. Um, obviously, everyone go. Out and buy the new album Babelsburg, which is brilliant. What's, um, the, what's the name from Babelsburg? Is, is it a place in Germany? Or? Yeah, it's like a, a region. It's a film studio. Um, there's an orchestra called the Babelsburg Orchestra. So it's, I think it made sense for a, a Babelsburg. Um, well, I got the idea. The, um, the cover's awesome. The as cover's well. like a dystopian. It's like almost like a slightly MC Escher, like on a MS DOS, like a program. It's got um, the features um, oh, no Jesus, way. Trump, yeah. uh, Lenin's in there. A dolphin. Um, All the greats. God, uh, there's some drone. <laughs> <laughs> Looks um, like a favela on the mountain. Looks like a snap from Twin Peaks or something, isn't it? Like if you uh, cut open David Lynch's mind. Yeah, there's... Yeah, 21st century Cardiff. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's. Um, nice high rises. You know, um, people trying to build towers to heaven. I mean, I'm, I'm all for modernist architecture, but um, it's got, you know, one of these places with a veneer of opulence and uh, that kind of um, completely destroys everyone. Below it, like looking into like sort of a bit of like a, a void bit, isn't it? It's almost like Lovecraftian. <laughs> and then uh, I did it over Google Translate um, with Russian Illustrator, <laughs> and it was sort of doing suggestions, and then it sent the fact that it was completely different, but <laughs> much better usually. Yeah. Do you have uh, any shout outs or any beefs you want to start? Um, Start well, for the Manics or something. 
PR when we started out, so I, I can't fault them in any way. I mean, uh, shout out to uh, Nicky Wire's exhibition in Tempe, uh, shout out to Kian Kiron on, um, on his flotilla, yeah. yeah, with his AK like a pirate. Yeah, th- thanks for having me. <laughs> awesome, Griff, what an absolute ledge. That album's actually brilliant as well. I mean, it's really, I mean, listen to it in the car. Because he gave us free coffee. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Which one of the perks? And we're just, uh, we're actually on it as well, aren't we? And it's just it's just class. I mean, limited edition heart. Uh, was it selfies in the sunset? Negative vibes. Mean? Yeah, negative vibes. Uh, same old song. Like the orchestra is is really beautiful. There's some really amazing harmonies and melodies in there. So give it a listen. Yep. Buy it basically. We we don't have to, but you should buy it. Yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> if you're in the position of us, we just get free stuff all the time. <laughs> Shout out to everyone that supported us thus far. Hopefully, we'll continue as we've been doing and on a more regular basis because you know i've left academia so um i know your time's freed up (laughs) but i yes i have more time to i guess be creative and put more time into the pod because i don't have to work every weekend and every evening on referral articles and and whatever so and this time people actually listen to your output (laughs) people will read it rather than being paywalled so yeah um and keep your eyes peeled we've got a live event hopefully coming up in november in cardiff so tbc watch this space yeah um Shoutouts to everyone Dan said, but twice as twice as hard. So yeah. my shoutouts are uh, like more authentic uh, and more yeah. you know, grounded in love. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye. Right. Hey, all right. Uh, that is the uh, Super Furries. Uh, just before you go, will you uh, wish uh, Lulu a happy birthday, please? No. Fair Which one? Not the famous Lulu. Well, I don't know. It's... No, she's a, she's a, she's a tardy scum. She's what? She's all right. She's scum. She's tardy scum. <laughs> <laughs>